Octavia's Parables is hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and Toshi Regan. We are every single week bringing you chapter by chapter scholarship of Octavia E. Butler's classic materials. First, we did the parables, parable of the sower and parable of the talents. And now we're doing the Patternist series, and we are in Wild Seed. And this week we're on chapter 10, chapter 10. Um, Before we dive into our summary, Toshi, Mm -hmm. do you have any announcements for us? Yeah, I do have an announcement. And um, that's, I'm going to be doing my annual birthday concerts in uh, New York City at Joe's Pub. And uh, that's going to be around, like, January 26th, I think, to, you know, whatever that Sunday is going to be. And the tickets are, are on sale now. So come come Yay. through. Okay, that's really good news. And so I think my announcement is the year is over, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to hibernate. It's time to rest. Mm-hmm. You probably have done enough. I'm pretty sure you've done enough. So if you needed someone to tell you, you've done enough, you made it through this year. It's been a hard, long year, a lot of loss, a lot of grief, but you made it through and you deserve to rest. And I just want to tell you officially right now, you've done enough. Take a break. All right. So Toshi, will you bring us into chapter 10? Chapter 10. I'm calling Mm -hmm. this the Job chapter. The Lord mm-hmm. God giveth, the Lord God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isaac is dead, and Wake is dead, and mm-hmm. Anyanwu starts to come to terms and face the abusive relationship she has been in all this time with Doro. Mm-hmm. It's a short and powerful chapter, and it starts where chapter 9 ended. They're in the room where Isaac is passed away and Nweke's body is still on the bed and Anyanwu is just trying to get to her her feet and Doro has arrived with some food and this is the food she requested when she was trying to save Isaac. As as, uh, you may remember that whenever she goes through like great transition or whenever she has to use her abilities in an, an extreme way and especially if she she didn't know she had to use it and she has to work quickly, then she is usually very, very, very hungry. So she is very, very hungry because she had to heal herself very rapidly from Mweke's attack. And then she had to try to um, save Isaac, which did not work. So she is she is just still in that scene. And she is mm. also just lost Isaac. And so she is She's being grateful that Isaac didn't know that he's the one that actually contributed to killing Inweke. I'm not going to say he killed her because she just was put into the position that she was put into by Doro. Yeah. But because she couldn't handle the, you know, just super awesome, powerful powers that, that just descended on her, that she was out of control. And so it was all too much. This is just like it's a terrible accident, one accident after the other, and everything is gone. And she went to the food, and she sat down, and she ate the food. And she said they should have funerals. And she was eating the the sweet cake, and that's the same cake that Isaac had gave Doro earlier. And Doro thinks to himself that he's hungry too, but he couldn't bring himself to touch food. 
and especially mm -hmm. not those cakes, which is what he was enjoying before all of this went wrong. And he realized that he's not hungry for food. And so Dora was in this body and this is a great body and it's a good, strong body because his intention was when Enweke got through her transition, then mm -hmm. he was going to give her a child, you know, like, mm -hmm. so he came in a body that he wanted to, to be the father of Enweke's child. So he had planned far ahead and none of that worked. And so he's starting to have a hunger for a new body. And mm. we find out that when he is like emotionally stressed, that it takes a toll on him. And then he feels like he has to change his body. Even if there's nothing wrong with the body, even if the body is still could be lasting for a long time, he starts to feel a hunger. And then once he feels that hunger, even if the body technically doesn't need it, he's uncomfortable and hungry all the time. So mm -hmm. it's a it's a dangerous state of being for him to be in because it, it feels like he's already quick to kill people. So it, it feels yes. like he's now even quicker. Yeah. And so Anyamu is, you know, eating and talking and she says that we should have peace and that it was the last thing he said. And so, you know, Doro does his shrug and says, we'll have peace. And, you know, that shrug, honey. Nope. Don't <laughs> shrug at me. Don't you shrug at me. That shrug is not, a, is not a joke. So seeing that shrug, I'm sure Anya went, hmm. Yeah. Arrangements were made for the funerals. All the children came. All of the people came. All the neighbors came. Everybody came to pay their respects, to show their respects. And Anyamu is gone. She took off. She flew as a large bird for a while, then far out at sea, she drifted down wearily to the water and took the long-remembered dolphin form. Mm. She had come down near where she saw a school of dolphins leaping through the water. They would accept her surely, and she would become one of them. She would cause herself to grow until she was as large as most of them. She would learn to live in their world. It could be no more alien to her than the world she had just left. And perhaps when she learned their ways of communication, she would find them too honorable or too innocent to tell lies and plot murder over the still warm corpse of their children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So briefly, she wondered how long she could endure being away from kinsmen, from friends, from any human beings. How long would she have to hide in the sea before Doro stopped hunting her or before he found her? She remembered her sudden panic when Doro took her from her people. She remembered the loneliness that Doro and Isaac and her two now-dead grandchildren had eased. How would she stand it alone among the dolphins? How was it that she wanted to live so badly that even a life under the sea seemed precious? Mm -hmm. She says Doro had reshaped her. She had submitted and submitted and submitted to keep him from killing her, even though she had long ago ceased to believe what Isaac had told her, that her longevity made her the right mate for Doro, that she could somehow prevent him from becoming an animal. He was already an animal, but she had formed the habit of submission in her love for Isaac and for her children and in her face of death, especially of the kind of death that Dora would inflict. She had given in to him again and again. Habits were difficult to break. Hmm. So 
she is really examining, you know, I think for really the first time in the book, thoroughly, like her relationship, like Octavia's like, you know, is even though I didn't write down every thought in her mind, you know, yes. trust, she's been holding the accumulation of abuses. And so she sees a tribe of, of dolphins, you know, and so she is checking out this and she also is again in reflection and she's thinking about the way that people looked at at Doro that his people would see him even if they thought he was going to kill them it's like but he's a god so if he's choosing to kill me like it's okay because he's a god and so she compares the people to Job um, in the Bible and that's where I got that the Lord God giveth the Lord God taketh away blessed be the name of the of the Lord and it's yes. the servant ran and told Job, all your children are, are dead. And, you know, all your cattle are dead. And servant ran and told Job, all these things are wrong. And Job is like the Lord God giveth, the Lord God taketh away. All time, I'm gonna wait till my change comes. Also have that song in the opera. Yes. While the while the uh, folks are in Robledo and witnessing and experiencing trauma after trauma and death after death after death, and so we put Job in there. Um. So she was wondering how long she has to run, and she's saying she had found virtue in nothing that had to do with him. He had never been her god, and if she had to run for a century never stopping long enough to build the tribes that brought her so much comfort she would do it. He would not have her life. The people of Wheatley would see that he was not all-powerful. And she put away from her the memory that Isaac had never wanted to escape. Isaac was Isaac, set apart from the other people and not to be judged. He had been the best of all her husbands, and she, she could not even attend his funeral rites. Thinking of him, longing for him, she wished she had kept her bird form longer. She wished she had found some solitary place, some rocky island perhaps, where she could mourn her husband and her daughter without fearing for her own life. But she's in the water and she's being a dolphin and she's looking at this little group of dolphins and the dolphins have reached her. Several approached, chattering incomprehensibly and for a moment she thought they might attack her but they only came to rub themselves against her and become acquainted. She swam with them and none of them molested her. She fed with them snatching passing fish as hungrily as she had eaten the finest foods of Wheatley and of her homeland. She was a dolphin. If Doro had not found her an adequate mate, he would find her an adequate adversary. He would not enslave her again and she would never, she would never 
be his prey. Mm. And that is, that is Anyamu putting it all together, realizing there was a way out and taking it. Yes. Glory, glory, glory. Glory. This chapter always gives me such relief. Woo-hoo. I'm appreciative of it as a as a model. <laughs> There's so much brilliance in this chapter. It's shorter, but it's it's absolutely brilliant. So let's start at the beginning. You know, Anyanwu is coming out of this work, ravenous. And I wonder what work makes you ravenous? Particularly what emotional work makes you ravenous? Are you aware mm-hmm. of the kind of hunger that comes when you have been doing deep healing work, deep spirit mm. work, or perhaps your hunger leaves for a while, right? Notice what has that kind of impact on your body or needs. And mm-hmm. then who are you in your grief journey? You know, observing how you have responded to loss in your own life. What do you know about yourself in grief? Mm. Do you tuck it away? Do you tear your clothes, cry in the middle of the street? Do you arrange services and get to work, like details, details, details? Do you light a candle? Do you send your prayers? Mm. Do you sit in memory? Do you talk about the person? Just notice for yourself. Mm-hmm. And what do you hunger for when you feel emotional distress? You know, here we see Anyanwu needs food. Doro starts to itch for a new body. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular kind of escape or a particular kind of thing that feels like this is what would satisfy me when I'm in that emotional state? Mm-hmm. And then how brilliant is Anyanwu? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how brilliant is Anyanwu? You know, just being like, organize this, put all your time and energy in here, and while you do that, I'll slip away. It's such a good way to do what she needs to do to get out of town. So what creature would you want to become? Uh, What species would you want to join if you needed to leave humanity for a little while? Mm. Maybe long term. You know, I love this thought process that she's in of like, I wish I'd been a bird longer. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish I'd been able to kind of do that solitary craggy island life. You know, we sense there that she still doesn't quite know that Doro really, like, literally will not be able to find her when she's in these animal forms. But she's figuring it out, you know, and then I'm going to go be a dolphin. He's not going to be able to get me here. So for you, what creature is it? Do you have a sense of that, Toshi? Like if you were... Yeah, I was thinking about it. If you were a different kind of animal, what... Yeah, because, you know, she was on the, like, she still was in the perfect earth, you know, the way back then. So it'd be hard to be in the water now like that. You know, you would, you, I don't know, I think I would want to be something that can be in the water and on the land and can travel, Mm. can travel well. Because I think you would need to alternate between the two. I don't know what that is. (laughs) And then the other thought I had was, like, the baby. alligator? Maybe. But like the baby, not the baby, the Weddell seals that I learned about from Alexis. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, they're vulnerable. They're so far away from everybody. Like they're just out there. Um, They sound really cool. 
and they can swim underwater for a really, really long time, and they can breathe on on the air. So yeah. I, it would be a real escape, though. You would just be like, fuck everybody. And yeah. <laughs> you just like, I'm going to come out here and be a Weddell seal and just like have some, you know, babies and eat yeah. a lot of fish. Also, they have like um, just very rich milk that they make for their, their babies. And then they yeah. under that same thing with the dolphins have. I learned so much from Alexis, my God. But the yes. same thing. <laughs> Thank you, Alexis. Like, we all know about this ocean because of Alexis. Because of Alexis falling gums. Yes, we know so much. But they have this this like superpower milk and super fatty milk. And then they feed their babies. And then they leave their babies. And they go and they eat food so they can be restorative. And then they can hear their babies crying, their specific yes. baby. And then they come back. And the babies, the mm. baby. Y'all got to listen to um, Breathe on... Um, yes. We should put that link on SoundCloud. Y'all got to listen yeah. to Breathe. And you can hear what the Weddell Seals sound like. It's unbelievable. They sound they sound incredible. That's so sweet. I really like the idea of you as a Weddell seal. That works for me. <laughs> well, sometimes when I first when I first wake up, I look like a baby seal. Mm-hmm. I like I took a picture of myself and took a, like got an image of a baby seal, and I'm like I I look like that when I wake it's, up. It's me. It's me. You're That's baby seal. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really love that. You know, I um, yeah, I hear what you're saying about water. You know, being in the ocean these days is a challenging space because, you know, everything I'm like, I would really love to be a whale. Mm-hmm. I would really, really love to be a whale, like move with a pod and just be like jumping around and sleeping vertically and, you know, just adventuring, going on migratory paths and being loved by my mom. You know, like I just feel like <laughs> I just can imagine being like a baby whale and just being like, this is rocking my world. This I is amazing. It. I'm I'm massive. I'm awesome. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in community. I could also rock with being an elephant. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but in each species, I'm. I see myself as a little, you know, like a calf. Um, I see myself as like a, you know, little elephant, a little cow. <laughs> you know, yeah. something that's going to be massive, but I'm starting small and kind of, you know, getting to feel the community around me first. So. Um, yeah, but I love that. I, I feel like I'd be really interested in the collaborative species. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to be a penguin. That's one thing I know for sure. Why not? Just their lives. There's a lot of misery. <laughs> there's a lot of like, even though it's a very communal collective thing, but it's the same of like, they lay their eggs and then it's like this being away from their eggs for long periods of time while the parents switch off who's going to get food 
coming back, regurgitating the food into these little baby mouths. I mean, it's like nine months of the journey is like being so cold and trying to hold eggs from bursting on the on the surface of the ice. It's just not easy. You know, I'm just sort of like, okay, being a human is hard, but I think being a, a penguin daddy might be even harder. So I'm like, I really want to move towards ease. I also think being a sloth would be awesome. Right now, sloth feels like the energy that I'm most like channeling like I'm like can I just wrap my arms around a tree and hang there indefinitely like yeah when no one expects me to move quickly yeah (laughs) sloth is everything Um, yeah or like a tortoise anyway there's so many creatures I'm really (laughs) like I would mostly like to be most creatures <laughs> if you were, if you got to be the whale though you could maybe be like a human you would be a human that has become a whale right exactly so that you can like say to all the other whales like yo like let's go break everything because yeah, like break it all yeah like i would be, definitely be the organizer whale for sure you'd be, I'd like, just be like listen y'all you'd be holding like whale town to like take this down and i think that we could do something with our vibratory powers and yeah you know i would Definitely go find Michaela and just be like. Also, just be like, yo, <laughs> when you see them, them people with the cameras, all they're doing is like bringing more attention to you. And you don't exactly. want that. Like eat them flip people. Them. Eat them. Bye. Oh, you're going to eat them? I was going to just flip the cameras out of their hands. But oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I whatever like, whale of, strategies we need. <laughs> you're like, they're Get tasty. rid of any humans. So... Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, Toshi. <laughs> I'm like, bye. <laughs> Your violent whale fantasies. All right. So I really appreciated this piece where in the midst of her grief and she's like run away from everything and everyone she knows and she's full of rage. You know, the kind of rage she feels at him is just like, you will be my enemy forever. Like mm-hmm. you've taken everything from me. Even in that place, she is surprised by her own will to live. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is such a sacred thing, such a sacred spark. So I wanted to ask you all to reflect on if you've ever felt that, you know, like a surprise at your will to live. And, you know, what was the texture of it? What was the moment of it? Was there a visual that came along with it? Right? Like, how do you how do you understand that that impulse within yourself of life moving towards life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then the political education of this chapter, I think, is really powerful. This idea that she's recognizing what I think we all recognize when we're like, oh, wait, I want to be free, is I have tried submission. I have tried listening to someone who said I was lesser than them and that I needed to submit to them and behave and obey, be respectable, be polite, talk a certain way. I've tried all of that. I've done everything that I was asked to do. And it doesn't matter. I'm still persecuted by this person, you know, Mm -hmm. by how they understand power and how threatened they are by mine. And I feel like it's such a, to me, that that is uh, an arc that comes from political education. Mm -hmm. It comes from the experiences of understanding and reflecting on your conditions and recognizing that you cannot be free in submission. So I was going to ask it as a question, like, can we ever survive by submission? But the answer is just too clear. <laughs> so I just like wanted to just say that for a moment. It's just to really recognize like there, you know, she's 50, 60 years in to this attempt to 
figure it out some other way with him, you know, to go through the motions that he has said. And I think we can all learn from this. How many times have we gone through the motions that we were told, like, this is the right way. And if you do it this way, you'll be able to survive and have power. And yet we still end up at the violent end of the stick, at the short end of the stick, at the violent end of justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no question there. Just really, you know, make sure you're aware of that. And it's not something about behaving, behavior being good, right? Yeah. There's, that's something I think Prentice Hemphill and Miriam Kaba have been writing about and thinking about is like, you know, Prentice said we need to let go of innocence. And Miriam recently was like, you know, I'm not, I was never, I'm not even trying to be good. That's you know, right. like that's not what humans do. Um, <laughs> you know, and if we can let that go, we can perhaps collectively be just. And I really think there's something important about that, that it's like, yeah. you know, there's no thing about submission, but to truly be free, you know, to relinquish that good, bad binary of who gets to be free and recognize like we each deserve that. Mm, that um, is so powerful. I really love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love thinking about mm-hmm. that because I think also on the other side of it is that the person or the force or the spirit or the Doro or the president or the, the police or the mm-hmm. whoever it is, yes. they, they don't have an actual answer to the problems. Like they don't no. have any, like Doro never has an answer. Like in, in the yeah. situations when it's something is- it's it's something's happening he's just like well you're here oh yeah you made it yeah like like, he doesn't have an answer and and anyanwu has a bazillion answers yes you know even isaac has answers like there's there's answers he doesn't have any and i think like the way we're like this is the time where it happens i think in revolutions where people push a line the people push a line very very hard and because yes. something so outrageous has happened that you can't sit still. And so it pushes a huge line and you see everybody react to it one way or the other. You That's know? right. And everyone reacts to it. And it's almost like they're like, okay, we have adjusted to this line. We moved it over a little bit. And then yeah. they start telling you what you can't do. Right. They're like, we did this. So they're like, we're not going to. So right now we're not going to defund the police. Right. Yes. Right now, nobody's really going to get in trouble for the um, coup attempt. Right yes. now, they, Trump could possibly run for office again. Right now, like you start yes. to see that there is there is no transformation. And so you're submitting to what they're asking you to do is is really we don't have any other answers but our bad behavior. So we just don't want you to come and change us. And we don't, we don't want you to make the circle bigger. We don't want you We're to. We're not going to relinquish this power. We, we will not. not. We will not. not do it. Yeah. And we, and I think that's the piece. It never ceases to amaze me throughout history. It repeats over and over again. Yes. That we think that people with power are going to just decide one day, yeah, nah, you know what? This should be shared. That's not how it works. They don't that's do not it. how it works. And so I think this, this awakening in Anyanwu, it feels like a radical awakening, even though she's going off into isolation, you know? that there's a sacrifice inside of this. When she says, he will not wear my body back to my family. They will not see him take that power over me. He will not be seen as an all-powerful being. Not on my watch, not with my skin. I mean, that's such a, to me, transcendent 
statement and revolutionary statement. And I think we all, can, there's a way for each of us to embody that, you know, that's like, I will not let the oppressor wear my skin to do their oppressive behavior. That's I right. will not police on their behalf. I will not oppress on their behalf. I will not embody that supremacy. I will not, you know, there's so much power in that. I love Anyamu. Yes. You know, I just have two last questions on this this short chapter. Anyanwu is going out into the wild to heal. And I hope some of you have felt that, but I wanted to ask you that. Have you ever felt that impulse, that call, like I need to go to the wild to heal. I need to go into it in isolation from humans that puts me into a different level of relationship with the natural world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you felt that impulse? Have you indulged that impulse? Have you felt the kind of healing that comes from that space? You know, I tell people this often that emergent strategy really was a partnership with the ocean. I was so built up with emotion. I was so hurting from some patterns and movement and taking it into the ocean, taking it into the water. The invitation of partnership came in those waves and that rhythm and watching the birds fly over that water. And, you know, I highly recommend it. (laughs) I highly recommend it. You know, I think there's a part of us that can become part of the ecosystem as a way of healing what our species is doing inside that ecosystem, Mm -hmm. right? It's like we don't have to reject it just because so so much of our species is rejecting it. Like we can still be the braiding, tying force. And then my final question to you as strategists, as organizers, as humans, as movement workers, as cultural workers, how do we currently, right now today, show our oppressors that they are not all powerful. Yeah, yeah. Even as these, what feel like losses and territorial um, shifts happen, even as this radical right and this fascist move movement continue pushing and taking, how do we show our oppressors that they are not all powerful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your answers. If y'all tweet us, if you post on the gram, <laughs> we, we want to know. You know. All right. Good. We did it. Chapter we 10. We did it. Chapter 10. It's in the can. Octavius Parables is hosted by A.J. Marie Brown, myself, and beloved Toshi Regan. Our producer is um, the impeccable Cat Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Our show art is from the young black genius Krista Franklin. Yeah, yeah. We are transcribed by the hardworking Jess Pinkham. Yeah, yeah. You can find us on Twitter at O Parables. And I am committing right here, right now to starting our Instagram page. That's right. Where we <laughs> yeah, both live. We Where we actually <laughs> hang out on the internets. Um, you can become a supporter of this show, you know, just covering our time that we put into it and the production time, the transcription time at patreon.com slash O parables and transcripts for all of our episodes live at readingoctavia.com. Music for Octavia's parables is you don't know the time written and performed by Toshi Regan, the sower song written by Bernice Johnson Regan and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's parable of the sower at Memorial hall, Chapel Hill, North Carolina and Job, performed by Toshi Regan and Bernice Johnson Regan, and mm. Breathe um, by Toshi Regan and Alexis Pauline Gums. So wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Such a good songbook you have. 
I know. Um, I feel lucky. Yeah, we're all lucky. All right, beloved. We'll see you all next time. See you. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed.